When do you first remember being aware of your learning? Was it a particularly memorable lesson? Maybe just having the maturity to understand a complex topic? Whether we realize it or not, metacognition drives us all towards deeper, more ingrained learning. This episode, the three of us are doing what we do best, making metaphoric connections in order to round out this season two finale and warm up for our beloved summer pop culture playground series. Ready to take today's subject and turn it inside out? You better believe here on the GLG we are. Welcome to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Labrie. In the Pixar movie Inside Out, we join the manifestations of key emotions that drive a young girl named Riley, all while she's becoming self-aware of those emotions. As she grows, Riley really does push herself forward in her emotional development and becomes an active participant in her own growth. Through what process, you may ask? Metacognition, the act of thinking about our thinking. And we all do this as learners, especially when we really make learning sticky. In striving to build stronger and more self-aware learners like Riley, this process is integral to any of us who teach learners at any level. So our intention with this episode is to explore some of the key ideas behind metacognition and what makes it so powerful and share some of those practices that instigate metacognition in our learners and in ourselves. So I am going to do something a little bit silly here, and that is describing something that is visible and viewable. When I think about Inside Out, the Pixar movie, I often think about this meme that goes through all of the Pixar movies and what might have inspired Disney or Pixar to make it. So they're going through Toy Story. What if toys had feelings? And what if cars had feelings for cars? And then they get to Inside Out and it's, what if feelings had feelings? And (laughs) that makes me laugh every time because it's so meta. And Mm -hmm. I like that that's our lead in for talking about metacognition is talking about something that's meta to begin with, this idea of feelings having feelings. So when we talk about metacognition, when, when we're thinking about it, why do we care about metacognition as teachers? Well, I'm going to jump in with what I do, which is the nerdy research side of things. Science. (laughs) Science. It's (laughs) science, man. For those of us who are plugged into educational research, the work of John Hattie and his visible thinking process and his meta-analysis, again, analysis of analyses, analyses of studies, has identified the major components for how you can demonstrate growth in students. And metacognition as a ritual practice has a 0.69 effect size. Typically, an effect size of anything over 0.4 is equal or equivalent to one year's worth of student growth. So we have over one year's student growth when students engage in repeat thinking about their own thinking. Another one that comes to mind is that concept of assessment-capable learners. And so when we talk assessment, oftentimes our brain wants to automatically go to the traditional test. But really when we're thinking about assessment-capable learners, it's really do you, as a learner, 
learn from either your mistakes or you learn from your own learning or the thinking about your own learning. Well, to me, it, it references back to as teachers, we want students to be able to look at success criteria, look at the learning target. Here's what I need to know. And here's how my teacher will know that I've learned that thing. We want them to engage in that process and think, okay, this artifact that I've created to demonstrate my learning has all of these components. And that takes a really developed brain in order to have that kind of self-awareness to look at the success criteria and determine whether or not their work, their output lends itself to that. You literally just use the term self-awareness too, and not to throw another one on the pile, but I'm going to. When we talk about self-awareness, we have to be thinking about SEL as well, because that's Mm -hmm. one of the castle competencies. So we're looking at students building this skill in awareness of themselves and knowledge of themselves and knowing what they're doing right and doing wrong. So you almost described that a little bit when you were talking about becoming assessment capable, that awareness of yourself and what you're capable of doing and what you've created and being able to self-critique, to grow, to help yourself become better, that is a huge component of SEL as well. The beautiful part about that piece is it's not another thing. We're not flipping into the SEL curriculum and doing Lesson 47. You're embedding it into instruction and making it a key component in learning. So SEL and our learning standards are going side by side together instead of piling on something else to the already full curriculum and the plates of teachers. Yes, please. Anytime we can get those <laughs> diagrams to converge, let's do it. <laughs> right. Okay. So that pretty much covers that. We know why we're doing this and that we also, in a manner of speaking, have discussed how it's important to do metacognitive strategies all year. And we can also, as teachers and reflective practitioners ourselves, be aware of that. It's not just for our students that it really does help adult learners. It helps staff members, teachers, all of us grow as well if we engage in metacognitive strategies, not just the kids. So metacognition is here for all of us. Let's talk a little bit more about why. But before we do, let's jump back into Pixar land and connect what we can from inside out. Almost six degrees of education style, but a little more rapid fire here. So what are some of the concepts from inside out that really strike you as being metacognitive in nature or related to this topic? Well, this movie is something that is kind of an anomaly if you think about it. It is very different than when you think of most children's movies. This one is deep. Speaking about this with Leo, my husband, just before recording this tonight, he was a AP psychology teacher. This is one of those he mentions the amount of psychology that is brought in and how accurate it really is. And Mm -hmm. what we love about this depth of a storyline, it actually helps in child psychology circles as well, helping kids understand not only the emotions we talk about with SEL and awareness, but also that there is something beyond the surface level of just plain old story narrative or content. And so Mm -hmm. I just think that that's a really interesting play on children's storylines that goes a little bit deeper into what is really going on in not only the child's brain, but any of our brains as we are working through things. 
And it truly models or mirrors the emotional, right? And the personality and the brain development of a child. I think about where my five-year-old is at compared to my two-year-old. And really the range of emotions is exactly what you see in Inside Out. Landon really has a happiness. (laughs) He has a freak out. He doesn't have the complexity that you see in older as a child grows. And the beautiful thing about the Inside Out film it really taps into where you start to see students develop the ability to engage in that self-awareness, that metacognitive thought. Our brains do not get to that point just in terms of our growth until we're between 12 and 15. And that's where we see Riley start to rebel and where we see her get that angst that she's starting to think a little bit more about why she feels the way she does. And that's metacognition, really. Yeah. And she's what, like 13 in that movie? Yeah. 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 Okay. She's right in that sweet spot. The memories that she has that she pulls from the memory pipes, those core, mm-hmm. what were they again? The core, core memories. The core yeah. memories. memories. They, there are these little balls or orbs. And what I love about it is it makes such a, again, back to that concept that's so abstract, much more tangible to be able to explain to others. And so we see that. We see that the memories, the experiences that she's pulling from also impact the way she feels about certain things and joy is that one character that you really feel like you always want joy. And this is actually quite ironic after coming off of our Talk Nerdy to Me series and all about joy. But you also get to talk a lot about the importance of all of those other emotions that sometimes society Mm -hmm. tells us to repress. And we need to be able to acknowledge them, know them, but not let them drive us in every single situation, but be really able to name them to help us with the strategies we need. And that could be in our learning, or that could also be in just our behavior. Yes. I think one thing that's really interesting about that too is in Inside Out, the feelings associated with core memories, they literally are a color in that movie. Mm -hmm. And you know, not to jump into strategies already, but I think that that can be a really powerful piece of metacognition, not just thinking about what we were thinking and why, but even what we were feeling while we were thinking certain things. If you can remember a memory or an emotion that's attached to a a thought process or a project or even a nugget of learning, a lot of times you can remember what you were going through or what you were doing when you learned something that really stuck with you. You know, you hear that saying, kids don't always remember what they learned, but they remember how they felt. Yeah. Or like how a teacher made them feel. That Mm -hmm. one popped up a little bit recently in social media again. And I think it's just interesting to consider that through the metacognitive lens that your feelings can help you understand your thinking and your learning too. Emily, what you're sharing reminds me of, I think we've mentioned it on this podcast before, but the Power of Moments book by Keith, you know, when you're talking not only about connection or connecting with other people and those feelings and creating those insightful moments, but really the elevation piece, when we create a flip the script moment or an experience for students that really makes that learning sticky so that it goes into that core memory piece can be retrieved more easily. And actually, that makes me think about Bing Bong and (laughs) her imaginary friend who goes, what is it, the dead memories or whatever that they go off that cliff and you lose a pit, right? Yeah. 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 So what is it that we can do to hold on to and retain a lot more information versus the ones that leave Mm -hmm. and and why? So the more we are self-aware and able to tap into our own metacognitive process and the stronger we are and more resilient we are at 
those skills, the better learners we can become. Right. That's right. We want kids to be retrieve that. Yep. Yeah. Be able to remember things long-term and also then we don't have to all sob about bing bong because seriously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I think the last connection that I had to this whole metacognition and the inside out piece is if you recall, as Riley grows, she develops aspects right of her personality that tie into her values. So if we are able, and they call it in the movie, the personality island. So she's got class clown island. She's got football island. Thank you. (laughs) She's got football island. And really that ties into something else we as teachers can leverage when we're getting kids to engage in metacognitive thinking. If you know about their personality, if you know who they are, you can leverage those things to make those metacognitive strategies easier for them to access. And they do change as a person grows. It's so interesting. Like she loses some of the, like the little kid goofiness and she's going full teenager at that point. Isn't there like boy band Island? (laughs) (laughs) Let's be real. I think all of us still have boy bonds. Yeah, I was going to say, is that one gone? (laughs) No, (laughs) never. But yeah, I think it is interesting to think about tapping into our students and where they're at, not just like where we perceive they're at, but really getting to know them and the things that drive them. And even again, I'm strategy jumping again, but like a strategy, like a two by 10, where you spend two minutes uh, a day for 10 days talking to one of your students, getting to know them a little bit better, and then considering what you might tap into or link into their learning that's related to their interests. It can be huge. All right. And so since we're talking strategies, that's really going to come back, but I will stop for now because I think we need to consider what are some of the examples of metacognition outside of inside out. <laughs> Sorry. Well, are you following us? On- <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Outside, right? inside, and- <laughs> it's going to be meta guys. It's yeah. metacognition. Let's just do it. Hop aboard the train of consciousness, y'all. We're going to go on a train of thought. I just, as we were doing research for this episode, it totally clicked like, oh my God, that's a train of thought. It's leaving the station now that we're on a... Anyway, yeah, you could tell. I really like this movie. We've already mentioned a couple of the ways that metacognition can look in the classroom, understanding what we have gained as a result of learning. But I think another thing that many of us especially if you are teaching social studies or science where inquiry is really a part of the key learning standards, it's being able to realize what you don't know and what is still unclear to you and being able to ask questions to try to get yourself thinking, what's a question that I have? And so that's an example of what metacognition can look like in a classroom. Yeah. When thinking back to that concept of what's abstract and what's tangible, Having mm-hmm. to figure out what you don't know is super abstract. Yeah, it is. It's just one of those concepts that because it's a gap, it's mm-hmm. not something that you actually have. So you have to be able to have some deductive reasoning to figure that out. Yep. And that takes some skill. And so the more that we can bolster that in our students, the better. The other one is thinking about realizing what you have learned. So that's the opposite, mm-hmm. the other side of the coin. So right. what have you learned so that you can help have that deductive reasoning to figure out what you still need to go and what you still need to learn from. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. One of the things that you see a little bit of as well is not just where the teacher applies formative and then the student learns, but where the student monitors their understanding and either from teacher feedback or better yet from their own performance on formative are able to figure out where they're at in the learning process based on some type of formative experience. I think that's really formative assessment at its best Mm -hmm. when you think about that part of the process. Ooh, and I really want to touch on that one too, Emily, because it's one of my favorites. That progress monitoring piece is huge. This one is crucial for blended learning to be really good, to be able to function with a personalized playlist or whatever it is that you might be creating in that experience, because kids need to be able to monitor themselves to be able to be successful in those environments as well. So this is a key concept that you want to make sure you instill in your students and you work towards getting a stronger base of that Mm -hmm. progress monitoring on an individual level and as a class, but definitely as you are as your own personal student. Well, and I actually am really liking that this is the last episode of our second season because I'm going to make a bunch of connections to previous episodes. So one of our very first episodes of this season is neurodivergent learning. And so when someone is able to pull a strategy that works for them because that's the way they learn best, when a student is able or a learner is able to flip through their Rolodex of learning practices to help them with executive functioning or to help them study for an assessment, that's metacognition too. And so students being able to choose, I'm going to use sketchnoting instead of the Cornell notes that we talked in class, because I like to visually connect to things, that's metacognition, because they're able to pull a tool that works best for them. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that is what strategies don't work well for them? Evaluating whether or not that strategy, you know, I tried it, but mm, that's not for me. It might be for somebody Mm -hmm. else, but I know that I tried it, didn't work for me. So you can be more efficient in the strategies you're pulling from that Rolodex. Right. Yeah. So as you all are listening to these, you may not have used the term with your students metacognition, but if you're engaging in any of these practices in your classroom that we've shared, you're doing it. It's just the fancy word that the research folks are using (laughs) to call that what it is. What is it when we think about our own thinking? And in this century, these are key life skills. This is going to transcend, again, any kind of content information that you are provided, especially at a secondary level, we focus so heavily on content. Either way, these are skills that kids need. And as adults, we need these to be a functioning adult, we need to be able to do these types of thinking. Yeah, seriously, you mentioned being a neurodivergent adult, like, hi, from that Mm -hmm. corner, if I didn't know what strategies were working for me, and what to try if something's not working, or what to rely on, I don't think I would be a functioning human, much less doing what we're doing right now, if I didn't have this process of having to really reflect on what wasn't working and what does work. And I think that Mm -hmm. all of us as adults, neurodiverse, neurotypical, knowing about ourselves and what helps us learn and what our best conditions are and what our best products are. And just going through that whole metacognitive process is incredibly value for any type of growth to occur. So mm-hmm. it's huge for teachers to think about it, talk about it, engage in it themselves, kids and adults. It's crucial. Mm-hmm. So I've been chomping at the bit to talk strategies. <laughs> <Clearly. Yeah. laughs> she can't help yeah. herself. <laughs> I can't. I can't. So yeah, I've already brought up a couple, but outside of my mentioned two by 10 and starting to talk about 
the fact that many people are already doing this through the process of any sort of reflection. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do already touch on metacognitive practices. But what are some of the specific ones that maybe we haven't mentioned or talked about yet? One of the more common ones that people more likely are using is the think aloud. So as you're doing a read aloud of a text or engaging in a number talk, a teacher stopping and modeling, well, this makes me think about this because of X, Y, and Z. Or this book, I'm really picturing this happening. What are you guys actually stopping during the reading or stopping and getting the students to share what they're thinking about in that moment really is metacognition at its core, and students need that modeled for them. So engaging in a think aloud over a text, a problem, even a a visual, what does this make you think about, is you starting to develop those metacognitive skills across grade levels. Going back to the concept of blended learning again, but and the progress monitoring, one of my favorites mm-hmm. has has been e-portfolios or any kind of portfolio yeah. that, that has people in the right mindset to be thinking about their progress throughout the learning by showing artifacts. So mm-hmm. you can put up some structure in Spanish. What I used to do was for our skills of reading, writing, listening, and speaking for all of those, what are the artifacts that you're pulling that you're saying that I'm doing my tippy top, my best work at, and even the artifacts that show this is what I'm struggling with and reflecting on that. And here are my plans and my next steps for that. And it can be done many ways in different types of portfolio I even just did it with even students having a Google slide deck that would fill in specific things that way. But Mm -hmm. that was one of my favorites for the progress monitoring piece. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, I'm going to be taking a grad class this summer that's asking me to do something very similar to that. That type of practice where you're looking at something that's designed to help you improve and going through a process and really being deeply reflective about it, we're asked to do it as professionals as well, not just mm-hmm. uh, as students, but it's really powerful to progress monitor not just go through your progress, here's where I am, but like you said, set goals, make plans, figure out what you're going to do next based on this reflective process. And the empowerment that comes from that, that's not me, the teacher telling Johnny Smith that he needs to work on this. Yes, feedback is important and that can come along the way. But when we're talking about enhancing and fostering metacognitive thinking, it is so much better when it comes from the student. It's going to be an opportunity for them to take learning and be in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I've been asked by a couple of teachers recently this idea of quick nuggets, though. Are there any other like quick metacognitive nuggets that we could share? So I was going to actually say, so when you are building a portfolio, you'll often see that more at the secondary level because students have more that fully developed part of their brain where they can engage in that metacognitive thinking. One of those quick little ways that you can even use at the elementary level is something called a star and stairs organizer. So underneath the stars, the kids are going to share either, and if you use Seesaw or some other LMS system where students don't even have to write, even in Flipgrid, they reflect on, these are the things that I would give myself a gold star on. And then in terms of stairs, these are the little things I need to get better at in order to climb and really show my teacher or show myself that I've gained the learning. So stars and stairs is another one of those quick ones. But even faster than that is a routine called I used to think, 
but now I think. And that's a great little quick nugget to add as part of a lesson exit slip to get kids thinking about, well, I thought this before, but now because of what we've done, I think this and here's why, especially for those older kids, getting them to think about why did that change or why do I think that now? I don't know if this is a quick little nugget you guys tell me, but I'm thinking of learning maps and finding the connections to your own thinking, learning, and concepts. So if you're able to make a visual, and this kind of goes back to sketchnoting a little bit, but taking concepts that are related to one another and drawing in specific containers and connections to Mm -hmm. guide the abstract back into the tangible So you're showing what you know about a certain concept and how those terms and ideas connect to one another. And when it comes to learning maps, we did a lot of work several years ago when we engaged in Jim Knight's instructional coaching training when it comes to learning maps. And the beautiful thing about it is they do help show, like you said, Jenny, the connection between what our big essential question or our enduring understanding is and all of the other little component skills that we need to obtain in order to answer that big thing. And I love it when students create or co-construct that learning map with the teacher. You have as the learning experience designer, you've got the big plan but it really is more powerful for students if they're engaged in that creation during the unit or during the lesson. That's a well, great get out of my head, Veach, because I, <laughs> I was literally it's about comfortable to comfortable and warm in there. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking inside out. She's inside my brain. Yeah. It's okay. Don't read too much into it. Is she joy, anyway. sadness, anger? What are the what are the odds? Disgust. Disgust. <laughs> disgust. Oh, maybe she wants to be disgusted. Yeah. I mean, you've got great eyelashes. You're stuck in my brain. I'm sorry. So maybe you are disgusted. I don't know. (laughs) But, anyways, I was going to basically just say that that's one of the really cool metacognitive tools that belongs in everybody's hands that teachers Mm -hmm. and students use together. So you said it better. I'm going to leave it there, but you are inside my brain. Sorry. Maybe disgusted. (laughs) Another quick one. And again, it could be for elementaries or secondary students is we've used often the compass exit slip, and I'm going to forget all the pieces. So when we have engaged in a lesson or a professional learning event, we ask learners to tell us what they still need to know, which is the North. What suggestions do they have, which is the S. The W is... Wondering? Was that wondering? What I'm still wondering, how to continue the learning or how do I engage with this a little bit more? And then what was the E? Excited. Oh, what excites you? Yes. Yes. Thank you. See, it takes a village here at the GLG. (laughs) That's how we operate. Um, but what's what's exciting to you about this learning? And I think all of that really too is a cutesy little way of getting kids to explore their own thinking and engage in metacognition. I have more. Can I share more? I'm sorry. I'm talking so much. You, you go for it, V. No. It. Get down. Um, another one I want to I want to give props to a very dear colleague of mine, Linda Travis. I share this strategy. As far as I know, she made it up, so I like to give her credit for it. She developed something called for her students a map to success. She taught middle school and she would give the kids like uh, a little road with a car on it. And have the kids think about 
where they are in relation to what the learning goal or the final destination, she would call it. And she would have them mark off, if this is our learning target, where would you put your car on this pipeline, on this road? And then she would have them explain, well, why did you put your car there? What would it take for you to get your car further along that pipeline? What are some strategies that you could use to improve your progress or improve your learning journey moving forward? And she was a lit LA teacher. So metaphors and analogies are great tools for her too. So roadmap to success is what she called it. If anyone wants access to it, I can hook you up with Linda and she'd be more than happy to share that document with you. I love that. I had not heard that before. And Mm -hmm. dare I say it, that sounds like a coaching conversation, doesn't it? I I have used it and given her credit each time when it comes to like a restorative discipline practice. When you have students making poor decisions, where are you on our behavior matrix? And what are some things that we could do in the future to get you into more of that positive class climate culture moving forward. I've used it in science. I've used it in ELA. And so it's just a really cool, simple teacher created strategy. So thanks, Linda. You're a rock star. Amazing. (laughs) And then we have tons of other routines that aren't necessarily teacher created, but they are research based. So Harvard's Project Zero has tons tons of these metacognitive strategies. The compass exit slip comes from Harvard's Project Zero. I was actually meeting a colleague of mine from my former district a few weeks ago. And she's like, hey, you always had really good routines or exit slip things. And I'm like, yeah, I can't. I can't take credit for them. They're all part of Project Zero's thinking routines. And really all of them tap into that metacognitive process. So check out their website. It's awesome. That is amazing. So yeah, please feel free to go research and engage with us on social media if you're considering utilizing more metacognitive strategies as our students grow and learn and become more complex in their thoughts, just like Riley does in her emotions. I think it's really incredible for teachers to involve them and get the students to be more in control of their process and uh, moving along. So my friends, I feel like I've talked a lot this episode and we've followed that train of thought. We've traveled a very large distance. So I think it's really important for us to go through and talk about some of our takeaways from this episode. We hit mine early. I was really excited to see that connection between SEL and metacognition. Mm -hmm. And it's great because as we're reviewing all of these strategies and different ideas of what to try for metacognition, you can see the idea of how self-awareness grows, even just by being asked those questions. I think so often that students are asked things in just basic recall or even just to demonstrate a skill that they don't know how they did it or why they did it or what they did Mm -hmm. made it so effective. So taking just a little bit of extra time, like you said, it's hard for people to take time away from curriculum and many things that are packed into a teacher's day, but embedded SEL inside by way of metacognition is huge because that is like a life raft for people who have to do all of those things right now, which is all of us. I couldn't agree more. Honestly, I feel like the time it takes and the time that you spend in the land of metacognition will pay off in dividends in your students and the progress they can make in their own learning in the long run. It's definitely worth it. But my takeaway from this 
as Casey, you're rattling off a bunch of strategies and we're talking through all these examples. The thing that just really sticks out to me is this pattern of there is so much abstract about the work that we do in teaching and Mm -hmm. learning. So much is so abstract. And the more we can make things tangible and concrete for not only ourselves as teachers and educators, but also our students, the more not only effective, but the more meaningful and impactful the learning is for them. And so all of those strategies were just ways in which we can make learning more manageable, tangible for our kids so that they can replicate those practices and those skills moving forward as they get older. And Jenny, I love that you said that because learning is abstract, which is why these routines, which is why Hattie's metacognitive analysis, it's called visible learning. How do we make the intangible visible? How do we make thinking visible? And it's through these metacognitive practices that we do that. For me, the biggest takeaway is that connection to inside out in knowing where our students are at when it comes to their ability to engage in metacognitive thinking. If you ask a kindergartner to engage in developing a very complex e-portfolio, it's not going to be as impactful if you get them to, in a moment, say, how did this change what you thought before? And really doing what you can at an age-appropriate level to get them to pause, own their thinking, and explain in a way that makes sense to them and age-appropriate for them how they have grown as a result of this. So that's my takeaway. Dang, girls. Nice. (laughs) Well, it would not be an episode if we didn't play a game, so it is game time. And as lately keeper of the game, Casey Beach, what do we got? (laughs) All right. So this is a very short loosely adapted version of a game called Wits and Wagers. I have the family edition. So we're going to play by the family edition rules. It's a family show. It's family show. Makes sense. So think of this game like a tabletop version of The Price is Right, except for we are coming up with the prices or the answers, and we have to vote for which one we think is the closest to the correct answer without going over. And of course, since all of our stuff today has really centered around the brain and the way we think about things and feel about things, that's where all of these facts come from. So everybody understand the rules. We're going to read a statement between the three of us, come up with a possible answer, and then we vote on who we think is the most accurate. And if you get it right, you get a random prize that means absolutely nothing. (laughs) Do we have to do a reflection when we're done? (laughs) Oh, just kidding. We're not going to do that. Boring for listeners. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our first question, and I am able to play because I came up with these statements like three weeks ago. So I don't remember the answers because I didn't engage in a retrieval practice to retrieve them. If Um, she wins, y'all heard it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm playing fair. I really don't remember. So first (laughs) statistic is the information in our brain travels up to an impressive blank miles per hour. So in order for a thought to get from your brain to someplace else like your mouth or whatever, how long does that take? 
in miles. I don't even have a ballpark for this. I bet Veach at least has a ballpark idea. Okay. I said 425 miles an hour. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> Maybe I'm an impulsive person, but I said 8,000 miles per hour. Oh, I love embarrassed. it. I have no idea. I have Emily no idea. Giggling. This is 44,000 yes. <laughs> okay. miles per hour. I don't know. So our numbers are 44,000, 8,000 miles or 425 miles who do we think is correct without going over right without going over i did not play my chips well shocker (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna vote emily i'm gonna vote emily i I will too yeah i'm gonna stick with me as well i'm in the middle of the road let's do this (laughs) (laughs) oh Okay, so brain information travels up to 268 miles per hour. (laughs) We all went over. The price is so wrong. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. Okay. We're We're all wrong. We all get nothing. (laughs) Our train of thought has fallen off the track. Okay. Now now you know how fast thoughts move into our mouth. (laughs) So that's why I got in trouble all the time. (laughs) Okay. Past tense, Scott. (laughs) Dude, we all went up. Jenny, 40,000. 44,000. Leo would be so proud of us how wrong we are. Okay. So next question is, according to the laboratory or of neuroimaging, at the University of Southern California, the average brain generates how many thoughts per minute? I think I'm at an, uh, again, a disadvantage as a neurodiverse person here. I'm saying 21. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said 100. Whoa, okay, oh. never mind. <laughs> I said 28. I'll walk that back then. <laughs> The only reason I said 100 is because it feels like I think a lot when I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> Spirally. Yeah. Thoughts. What time of day are these thoughts? Yeah. Yes, if it's, if it's 3 a.m., we've got to have another conversation. <laughs> okay. So who are we voting for here? You. I'm always going for the middle answer. Oh. Casey's was not the middle answer. <laughs> no. Oh. <you're- laughs> no way. Denny's. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go. I'm just going to be different. I'm going to be different. I'm going to vote for Emily's. Emily's. It's the only one that isn't going to go over. You guys realize you've like backed the Emily horse every question. Okay. Survey says 48.6 thoughts per minute. Ooh. So. Emily, you said Jenny's, right? Yeah. So you win at 28. Ooh, <laughs> so the Emily horse, even when it's not her answer. <laughs> no, we should have gone. We should have followed Emily. I know. <laughs> what do I win? Would, do I win anything? You win the ability to reincarnate Bing Bong if you would choose to. Bing I would totally choose to. <laughs> I want a rocket to the moon. Let's go. <laughs> Love it. I think an Emily and Bing Bong experience is in order. That would be something I would want to be a part of. 
<laughs> sounds so fun. <laughs> the next immersive experience at the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry. <laughs> no one will get it but us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that All right. Was get really this fun. train back on. All right, thought train back back on on the track. So speaking of train tracks and things that are in flux, we are coming to the end of our second season of the Grounded Learners Guild. So when we're talking taste of what's to come, it's not actually going to be any other full length episodes for a little while. But just as we did last summer, we are excited to return to the pop culture playground and make some fun, fast, easy connections to the world of education and some different items of music, movies movie, entertainment, pop culture connections. So please join us for that. We would love to keep engaged with uh, all of our listeners through the summer and have a little fun. And that's a wrap, not only for this episode, but can you believe it for our second season of the Grounded Learners Guild? We hope you all know what a rewarding opportunity it is to create this space. And we're so grateful for all of you who take the time to give this content a listen. And in the spirit of summer, it's time to play a little. So join us in our second installment of the Summer Playground miniseries for bite-sized episodes of a game we like to call Six Degrees of Education, where we challenge ourselves to make educational, leadership, and teaming connections to fun and sometimes frisky pop culture trends in music and media, movies, and more. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues. And as always, you can find us on our website at thegroundedlearnersguild.com and on Twitter at groundedlguild at cvcher at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Especially preparing for a new season, your feedback is everything. Feedback is that powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already, or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review? Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream. Thanks again for joining us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode of the Grounded Learners Guild. See you at the next Guild meeting. And even though it's summer, do your best to stay grounded.